You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino, a professor at John Marshall, Landis John Marshall Law School, and the show is Do Facts Matter? And uh, I've got a few things to talk about today. I indicated uh, last week we were going to talk a little bit about the billionaire Democrats, and we'll get to that in a minute. But let me first get to this issue of the Democratic nominee for president uh, and uh, Bernie Sanders' implosion. Obviously, uh, Bernie's praise of Castro uh, was on the, did not work very well for him, uh, and of course was embraced by AOC and the other uh, extreme left-wing uh, Democrats like Ilhan Omar. Uh, if people weren't convinced he was a real socialist or even a communist after his praise of Castro and some of the uh, comments he made about Hugo Chavez, which uh, came up uh, in various commentaries and, ver- and various talking heads, uh, did convince a number of people that he may just be a communist. And I think that's a fair interpretation of uh, where Bernie stands. I mean, really, if you take a look at his campaign, he's an angry old white man trying to resurrect the politics of the 1930s, the popular front politics of the 30s, when the progressive left and the communists got together and other left-wing groups uh, behind Henry Wallace and and those people. Look that up. Look up Henry Wallace in, uh, on the internet and, and get an idea of what's going on. So, so oh wait. So he goes and he um, what, is, what happens to him? He implodes. So they get behind Biden. The Democratic establishment gets behind Biden. Now let's say they know darn well that Biden doesn't have it. They know darn well that he has a history of being a gaff-prone liar. But now it's even worse. Now he doesn't even know where he is half the time. He's in the early stages of cognitive decline. And you, and if you don't think the Democratic leadership knows it, of course they know it. So you say, why are they backing somebody who, you know, maybe he'll go to uh, debate with Trump and Trump will tear him apart, get him confused, put pressure on him. And, and he won't know. He, look, he didn't even know what the Declaration of Independence was. It was that thing, right? That thing. So why are they backing someone that has this kind of cognitive decline? Well, the answer is they want to make sure Bernie Sanders doesn't get the nomination because Bernie Sanders is a threat. They don't care about his politics. All they care about is power. All they care about is maintaining control of the government, maintaining control of all that money that sloshes around. It's self-preservation. And they are fearful enough of Trump, who's been let's say, draining the swamp, not very much and not very well so far, but they know darn well if he's reelected, he's going to go after those, the, you know, the swamp dwellers big time in Washington and their cozy little uh, in and out of government, uh, uh, gaming the system, making lots of money off the system. That may be ending because Trump knows what they're up to. So, and they have to get rid of him for that reason. Look, always follow the money trail. Who benefits? Who doesn't benefit? Who benefits from destroying Trump? Well, the people who have control of the government now, the people who benefit from government programs. And we'll talk about that in a minute in conjunction with uh, this whole idea of uh, why so many billionaires are Democrats. Uh, anyway, it's getting back to, Trump, uh, to Biden. I don't agree with those who think, oh, I think Rush Limbaugh had an interesting uh, comment that, uh, that because of... Uh, 
the the threat they saw from Bernie Sanders in terms of their financial well-being uh, and, and, and their well-being. They didn't care about the country. And the fact that Bernie would, would create a huge depression, they didn't care about that. What they cared about is their, their own financial well-being. Um, and, he, and he thinks they'd just rather lose with Biden uh, and uh, rather than lose with Bernie. Bernie would take too much with him, too many people down with him. And they'll have to just uh, suffer through four more years of Trump. Maybe they can hold on to the House or even gain the Senate uh, and, and stop Trump from doing anything really drastic about threatening their well-being, their financial well-being. Um, I don't think they really think that Biden's going to be their nominee. I think they think even if Biden goes into the convention, which is likely, and is nominated at the convention... The rules of the party and the rules are that if they decide at some point after he's nominated, and watch very carefully about who they pick as vice president, because who they pick as vice president is who they really want as the candidate. Camila Harris comes to mind. She's very bright, very attractive, and very vicious. And so uh, that's a perfect uh, candidate for and she touches two boxes. She's blacks, the minority box, and she's a woman. So they make her the vice president to uh, run with Biden. Then they decide, uh, you know, two, three weeks later that Biden uh, mentally uh, can't do it, and they decide to remove him from the ticket, which they can do. You look it up. And they, well, say, we're just going to substitute Camille Harris on top of the ticket, and we'll put some harmless white guy as vice president. I think that that's what they're thinking about. Now, I haven't heard it from anybody else, but that's my theory. My theory is they're already plotting how to get rid of Biden once he's nominated. Think about it. Why would they really allow someone who may, by the time the convention comes around or shortly thereafter, will be in the early stages of something like Alzheimer's? Who knows? Hillary's probably already thought about how to get rid of Biden if she were his vice president. The uh, Arkansas speaks for itself. Well, let me tell you, if Hillary Clinton accepts a vice presidential nomination, it means that I'm right, and that's in the <laughs> that's in the planning stage. I mean, that would be a sure tip off if uh, if, if Hillary Clinton become the VP. It's amazing that Democrats would be willing to have a criminal as their presidential candidate, but I guess that's a lot better than having someone suffering from the early stages of uh, dementia. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, time. And actually, if if Trump would just calm it down, you know, as uh, I observed to, to my uh, class at the law school, uh, the situ- and I was wearing, the reason I did, they questioned uh, my sport coat. I was wearing a rather bizarre sport jacket, which I'd gotten at, as I explained to them, double secret clearance sale. And it was real cheap, but I bought it. Um, and I said, well, I said, you know, it's an honor of the presidential politics. Who are the candidates? Well, as I said before, Bernie Sanders, an angry old man who is attempting to resurrect the politics of the 30s. Another old man who's in the early stages of cognitive decline, who has a history of gaffing and lying. And the Republicans have as their candidate a third old man who has an adolescent addiction to a Twitter account. 
So it's a little bizarre. If you're from Mars and you observe this, you're going to say, well, this country's nuts. I don't mean their policies. I'm meaning just essentially their uh, their persona, what, what, what they seem to be about. Uh, and look, don't get me wrong. I think Donald Trump is a very bright person. I think Donald Trump is shrewder than most people would give him credit for. And I think that if he keeps going the way he's going now, he'll be one of the graded as one of the best presidents in U.S. history, one of the maybe six or seven or eight best presidents in history. And, I mean, that means presidents that have done real positive good for the country, people like Washington, Jefferson, and the Louisiana Purchase, Polk, who expanded the country, James Polk, who expanded the country, Lincoln, saved the Union, Theodore Roosevelt, who did a lot of positive things before he went off the rocker as a progressive bull moose of party candidate. Reagan. These are all the great presidents. And there are a lot of... And you say, oh, Professor D'Agostino, you don't include Franklin Roosevelt? I sure don't include Franklin Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt, in terms of the long-range effect on this country, was negative. He kept us in the Depression for six extra years. Amity Shales, economist, wrote an interesting book about that. He started the, the he didn't start, but uh, Wilson started undermining the Constitution, and of course Franklin Roosevelt uh, continued to undermine it, and was a, a gigantic expansion of the power of the central government. After all, we were supposed to be the federal government, supposed to be a government of enumerated powers. What enumerated powers? No one can name them. And how did the government become all-powerful? They became all-powerful by the phrase promoting the general welfare, which was supposed to be through the enumerated powers, but it became an independent basis for federal programs. That opened the door to the federal government to get their nose into everything. You know, people understand uh, Grover Cleveland, President Grover Cleveland, when uh, he vetoed a bill, I think it was like under $20,000, maybe $12,000, to help farmers uh, in, along the Mississippi who had been flooded out by some uh, torrential rains and flooding. And he said, I can't allow this to go through the federal government because it's not part of the enumerated powers. I feel very bad about the uh, farmers. but They can get help from their state governments or the lo- local charities, but it's not the and within the purview of the federal government pursuant to the Constitution. Try saying that today, right? Every time something goes wrong, what are you going to do about it? And, uh, you know, it just reminds me, that was one of the problems we had during the Depression. Herbert Hoover was president. If Herbert Hoover did nothing, we would have recovered better. But people start saying, Herbert Hoover, Hoover, Herbert, the great engineer, do something, do something, do something. So he started to do certain things, and the things he started to do were actually picked up by Franklin Roosevelt and doubled down. So all the mistakes that Herbert Hoover made were doubled down by Franklin Roosevelt. People forget about uh, the National Recovery Administration, which decided that uh, the federal government could set prices for everything, including how much a tailor could charge for pressing a pair of pants. And the poor tailor who undercut the 50-cent 
price tag put on pressing a pair of pants by the federal government, he decided to charge 25 cents, and he was in big trouble. Taken to, threatened to be taken to court by the federal government until he agreed to raise his price to 50 cents. Civil liabilities facing him, uh, which would have put him in bankruptcy. Anyway, getting back to, to, to Biden for a minute. So where are we? So the Democratic establishment is going to back Biden in order to stop Bernie Sanders, to make sure he stopped, although Bernie did them a big favor by imploding by himself. And uh, But they are fully aware that Biden cannot possibly win the election, barring some catastrophe. Of course, we know the Democrats are rooting for the, the coronavirus uh, Epidemic. The more people who get sick, the more they think they can win the election. Now, now they they were openly, openly rooting for a pandemic until it, they figured out it didn't really sound that well. So now they're just praying for a pandemic. They figured. Look, David Plouffe, who was the former campaign manager for Barack Obama in two thousand eight and two thousand twelve, openly said it. Oh, we can win this election if everybody gets sick from the pandemic. Then we can accuse Trump of not being prepared. He should talk. Uh, Barack Obama didn't react to the the, uh, swine flu until a 1,000 Americans died. And then he finally said there was a real problem. Well, how many Americans have died so far with coronavirus? Not many. And all the ones who have died had underlying health problems. And... Apparently, most people who are, are even uh, 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 sh- show signs of having the coronavirus uh, either don't have symptoms or recover. So we'll see. We don't know what's, what the future lies. We, it may turn into a pandemic. It certainly, in China, has seemed to turn that way. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen here in terms of, uh, but it seems unlikely that we will have the same difficulties we had uh, under MERS or SARS or even the, the swine flu. In any case, uh, before I get to the billionaires, I want to get to what Mark Levin called the paramilitary wing of the uh, Democratic Party, and that is the Antifa, uh, which are a bunch of fascists uh, campaigning as anti-fascists. And, of course, uh, and since Antifa is obviously a hate group, the violent hate group, they attack people, they attack buildings, they vandalize, they do all sorts of things, you would think the Southern Poverty Law Center would be concerned about them, but they're not. The Southern Poverty Law Center has, of course, become the number one left-wing hate group. Anyone who's a Republican or a conservative is, of course, a racist. We're up against the break. I'll continue right after the break about the Southern Poverty Law Center. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino back with Do Facts Matter. And I had started to talk about the number one left-wing hate group in the country, uh, really is the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center. And uh, uh, by the way, uh, uh, an institution that uh, a lot of my friends give to, uh, used to give to, uh, very few now do in terms of money. First of all, they're, they're rolling in money. They have millions of dollars overseas in bank accounts, millions of dollars here. And uh, they... Uh, let me, let me give you a, an interesting uh, quote from the Southern Poverty Law Center. And this is, of course, the, the current president is uh, Richard uh, Cohn. Quote, we oppose these groups and what they are trying to do. And he's talking about Antifa, or, or Antifa, how do you want to put it? Anti-fascists who are really fascists. And we oppose what these groups are trying to do by censoring speech and provoking, quote, other forms of retaliation, unquote. Antifa does not qualify for designation of a, as a hate group because its adherents do not discriminate against people on the basis of race, sexual orientation, religion, or other variables protected by anti-discrimination laws. In short, said Cohen, the president of the Southern Poverty Law Center, Antifa's brand of hate is, quote, not the type of hate we follow. <laughs> not the type of hate we follow. And so people, now they get a lot of publicity because they're so violent. And, and by the way, why are they uh, toned down lately? They, because they're for Bernie Sanders. And they don't want to uh, give people an excuse for opposing Bernie or, or having Bernie publicly uh, defend what they do. So they have toned it down. Now that Bernie's not in the race, we'll see what's going to happen about the violence. And Antifa has a number of affiliates. It's not just Antifa that uh, it promotes, supports, funds, hides, excuses the violence. We have going down. It's going down dot org, and that's a it's their their description. A digital community. Center from anarchist, anti-fascist, autonomous, anti-capitalist, and anti-colonial movements. Then it has any means necessary. B A M N. You may see that capital B, capital A, capital M, capital N. 
and it's and, and they say uh, they seek to galvanize quote a united struggle of the black and Latina Latino communities and all the disadvantaged and oppressed in American society and, unquote a society allegedly quote distorted by racism sexism and anti LGBT bigotry unquote. And this is, of course, a um, uh, necessarily often a violent group. The organization urges its activists to, quote, work collectively to promote, quote, real egalitarian principles, unquote, through mass action. That means violence. It really grew out of, uh, BAM grew out of a uh, Trotskyite movement, and that's according to uh, David Horowitz of the Freedom Center. And uh, it grew out of a, a, a Trotskyite uh, um, a movement. Another group is Refused Fascism, RF, and uh, they were established after the 2016 presidential election, and the initial founders were uh, Communist Party members. And they call Trump, quote, a white supremacist, unquote, and whose brand of madness, in quotes, promotes xenophobic nationalism, racism, misogyny, and aggressive reinstitutionization of oppressive traditional values. Reinstitution of oppressive traditional values. Family, religion, traditional values. And they say Trump... And his movement is more dangerous to the world than even Hitler, unquote. Then they have the Bastards Motorcycle Club, BMC, Bastard Motorcycle Club. And they, of course, uh, are gang and they uh, foment various violent confrontations. Then there's the Huey B. Newton Gun Club. And this was named to honor the Huey Newton, who's a, a drug dealer, rapist, and murderer. So what you and look him up. You would be he's a drug dealer. He made money, a rapist, and a murderer. He murdered his accountant, or had his accountant murdered because she uh, was blowing the whistle on their embezzlement and their uh, uh, funds and their high lifestyle using funds that were supposed to be directed at the civil rights movements. You know, Robert, and we're getting some a little bit of credit for it, but I've been saying this on the air and off the air for a number of weeks now and months. But what we're seeing today, and even Trump brought it up, as well as some other folks have brought it up, is this is all planned. And this has been planned and in the operating stages since the 50s, since Khrushchev was beating his shoe on the UN table, and even before. The communists have not gone away. In fact, I would say we're in a bigger Cold War today than we've ever been in. And they said they were not going to take us by blowing us up. They were going to take us from within. And they've infiltrated our universities with socialist professors that teach socialism. And as far as I I was ever taught, socialism is the first step towards communism. Socialism is taking over the people and their government and everything else, taking away from them until they start, and that's without weapons, until they start to rebel, and then they call in communism, and that's 
keeping the people in line with weapons. And if you disagree, you can disagree. No, there are several things you said that are right. Of course, this has been uh, in planning stages on and off since the 30s, yep. the popular, popular front. And, of course, uh, the, the media has always played along for whatever reason. I mean, we get this idea of the, the Hollywood 10, that they were somehow mistreated, blackballed, and all that sort of stuff in Hollywood. Well, that's baloney. They were communists. They were Stalinists. That that Hollywood ten, including Dustin uh, uh, Thurnbaugh, who uh, uh, is kind of a late hero for, for liberals, and oh, these poor guys—they lost their livelihood. Well, <laughs> they were a group that tried to deny conservatives and Republicans their livelihood in, in the unions in the uh, uh, early stages of, of the Street Actors Guild. Uh, if, if if Stalin said war, they were for war. If Stalin said peace, that group, read what they wrote as reported by the New York Times. Read it. Read it in the 30s and, and 40s. Uh, they called the, 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 the when Hitler started his, his aggressive uh, uh, conquering of Europe, they were all for war. Oh, we, we got to fight the, fight the fascists. We're all for war. When Hitler-Stalin pact was signed, Suddenly, they were calling it the great anti-capitalist crusade. And, and they called on the United States to stay out of the war because the Hitler, the two great socialist countries, Germany and, and, and Russia, now the Soviet Union, were, were conducting an anti-capitalist crusade. It was all about peace and staying out of the war. When Hitler, Germany invaded Russia, it was all back to war. We must war. We must protect we must protect against Hitler. Hitler's trying to conquer the world. So anytime Hal, Stalin flipped, they flipped. So I don't have any sympathy for the Hollywood 10, none whatsoever. And uh, and in fact of the matter is some of them remain committed communists well into the 50s. So you have this whole I mean in essence the mainstream media was partially then and is now the propaganda wing of the left. And since the left has now completely seemingly taken over the Democrat Party, the Democrats now, their political wing, the mainstream media is, of course, the propaganda wing, and the Antifa and these other organizations I was just talking about is their paramilitary wing, and the mainstream media, the professors, I mean, I mean the, the academic media and universities of professors are, of course, their intellectual wing and justify everything. And talking about socialism turning into communism, what did Stalin, what was, excuse me, what was Lenin's reaction to workers who wanted to accept reforms in the capitalist system, reforms in, in the free market system? What was his reaction to that, to those workers? That they had false consciousness and they should be what? Shot. So, talking about coercion, there's not, no greater coercion than shooting him. What happened? What did Stalin do? Lenin precipitated, when he collectivized the farms, a famine. How did he save the communist regime in the Soviet Union? He started the new economic policy. What was the new economic policy? He reinstituted the free market in the farming areas. So the farmers who knew how to grow food, who knew how to... Uh, 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 supply their uh, their fellow uh, citizens with, with with food and jobs were able to do so, and, and they saved the communist regime from being overthrown because of the famine. What did Stalin do? 
He ended the new economic policy, recollectivized the farms, and the farmers who were producing the food, selling it, were, were known as kulaks, and 40,000 of them were shot on Stalin's order, which precipitated another famine. What saved Stalin was World War II. Then he could be a patriot and Mother Russia and all that stuff. He even went to church, you know, uh, even though he didn't believe in religion, that's for sure. So, so we have it. So, so we have a situation where, yeah, you, you're a socialist like Hitler, who's a socialist, and he always said he was a socialist. You have people like Lenin, Stalin, Marx. They, they're all socialists, but they all, in order to impose the utopia, get increasingly coercive. And the more coercive they get, the closer they get to a Soviet-style communism. And uh, I think this idea that, that is, I think it's purposeful at the universities they don't teach history. I think it's purposeful that they uh, shortcut the economics courses. I think, it's, I, I think it is purposeful. The more ignorant the students are getting out of uh, college, the more likely they are, they are to be fall for the nonsense from people like Bernie Sanders and AOC, Ilian Omar, and, and, and the New York, the Washington Post, rather, and the New York Times, ABC, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, and worst of all, MSNBC. Anyway, when we get back after the break, we will talk about the billionaires. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino, back with Two Facts Matter. And I have on the phone my son, Joseph D'Agostino, scholar, philosopher, and professor of law. In fact, uh, Joseph uh, was supposed to go to South Korea uh, to teach a course in South Korea, at the university in South Korea. Obviously, that has been postponed so, Joseph, your current postponement is what, to April 20th? It's currently scheduled for April 20th for me to teach a week-long modular courses, as it's called, at a Christian law school uh, in South Korea. But uh, we don't know what will happen. Uh, the uh, Ministry of Education there really makes the decisions, as you 
can imagine the government there regulates things much more tightly than in the United States, although in this particular situation, I don't know that would make any difference. So the government is going to make the call of whether they're going to allow the university to bring in foreign professors and, in fact, might actually require the university to cancel classes altogether, and they might do that to universities all over the country. Yeah, well, no one really knows where this uh, this uh, coronavirus is going, whether we'll really have a, a worldwide pandemic or not. But we'll uh, certainly find out. Certainly, Democrats are rooting for a pandemic. I figured uh, David Fluff was on the, uh, one of the I think MSNBC, uh, essentially rooting for people getting ill. That way they could win the election by accusing Trump of being uh, unprepared for it. Well, I think it's very plausible to believe that it is too late to contain the coronavirus, and it's simply going to run its course. It will spread uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the world, um, killing off those who are susceptible to it, and then sort of join the background of influenza-style viruses that are there all the time. And so I think it's very possible that it's something that we're going to be living with long term. In the United States, of course, we'll have a very low death rate, and the people who would die from it would um, almost exclusively be elderly people and people with compromised immune systems. It would certainly be very disruptive, but it's certainly far from the plague or anything like that. But I would caution people not to necessarily expect it's ever going to be contained because it has spread uh, to so many different places. And it's clear the World Health Organization and most uh, governments around the world are not seriously trying to contain it at all anyway. Well, uh, that may be so. I, we, uh, your mother and I, of course, had a planned trip to Italy starting uh, June 3rd, uh, including a cruise on the Viking uh, cruise line uh, <coughs> that would uh, circle Italy. And I have gotten an email from Viking says, essentially it says, if you want to pull out, uh, we will give you a voucher for any of the money you've already paid that you can then use for any time in the next two years on any cruise you want. So they are uh, uh, trying to satisfy their, their, their any panicky customers that are, have been calling them with saying, don't worry, you're going to get your money back uh, in the term in the form of a voucher. So we'll see what happens. Uh, your mother and I will make the decision probably sometime in May as to whether we're going to go or not. But let's get back to the topic here. I've got it in, in my hands, and, and this will include George Soros. Now, George Soros is a multi-billionaire but he funds left-wing causes and Democrats directly and indirectly. The Open Society Foundation. He just gave $18 billion to that foundation to pr promote left-wing causes and, and Democratic uh, causes. Uh, so if you take the top 10 billionaires, and this includes George Soros, eight of the top 10 are clearly Democrats. Bill Gates, Warren Buff Buffett, Mark Zuckerberg, Larry Page, that's Google, Sergey Brin, also Google, Michael Bloomberg, Steve Ballmore, Microsoft, although he does give some money to um, uh, the Republicans, uh, but he did support uh, Hillary Clinton uh, big time, all of Hillary Clinton's uh, campaigns for the Senate and for the presidency big time, but he does give some money uh, to Republican causes or Republican, or, uh, uh, Republican candidates. But anyway, essentially, eight out of the top ten are either completely Democrats or predominantly Democrats. Why are so many billionaires, I mean, the Republican Party is supposed to be the party of the wealthy, which, of course, isn't true. But anyway, another story. Why are all these billionaires Democrats? What do you think they're all Democrats for? Well, there are several reasons why. I think two reasons are particularly accessible. Uh, first is 
Uh, conservatives suffer from this misperception that uh, the free market exists. There's, there's no such thing as a free market. There never has been and there never will be. Uh, markets are freer or less freer depending on circumstances. When it comes to becoming simply wealthy, it may be done through simply being a better businessman or being a highly successful professional, such as a doctor or lawyer, perhaps writing some popular books or inventing something uh, that is uh, popular or at least lucrative. But when it comes to being ultra-rich, it does not work that way. When it comes to, to being ultra-rich, uh, you are made ultra-rich by cooperating with the government to suppress competition or to obtain some kind of advantages. Uh, and you're allowed to remain ultra-rich at the sufferance of the government because any no society can work any other way. Every ruling class must uh, be cautious to see who is gaining money and power within its society and seek to control uh, those people. So to become truly ultra-rich, um, you need cooperation from the government at a very high level because they are watching and they have interests. So it's natural for someone who understands the way to become ultra-rich and understands the way to remain ultra-rich and, and so on and be part of the club, it's natural to be in the Democratic Party because in the Democratic Party that kind of manipulation of society and the economy is accepted, both as an ideological matter as well as a practical matter, whereas in the Republican Party it's accepted simply as a practical matter. So specific examples include uh, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, often called the richest man in the world. Uh, he obtained, uh, our Amazon obtained an extremely favorable delivery contract from the United States Postal Service, just pennies on the package. Uh, many people said it was actually unprofitable for the Postal Service uh, to sign this contract. And by having such extremely low shipping costs, lower than any of its competitors, uh, Amazon was able to take over uh, the home product delivery market and, and dominate it. Uh, this seems very unlikely to have happened without the extremely favorable treatment provided to it by the United States Postal Service, by the government. By the way, just addition, to interrupt I'm, you for I'm one gonna... second, I don't include Jeff Bezos in, uh, as one of the eight out of ten billionaires, top billionaires who are solidly Democratic. Even though Jeff Bezos did that, needs the government to operate because he sometimes gives money to causes that are supported by conservatives. Go ahead. But the fact is, the vast majority of his money and efforts do go to the Democratic Party. And he is the owner of the Washington Post, which has become simply a propaganda rag for the Democratic National Committee and Democratic politicians. So I firmly, very firmly classify Bezos or Bezos as a Democrat. Well, if you um, do, that's nine out of the top ten then. Yeah. His ownership of the Washington Post alone and the propaganda value of the Washington Post the Democratic Party alone, regardless of where he directs his personal contributions, it's sufficient proof that he is a Democrat, uh, whether he is officially or not. Uh, he certainly is functionally so. So that's one example. In addition, Amazon gets government contracts. Elon Musk, the billionaire who uh, is known for Tesla and SpaceX and so on, uh, as many people have said, what he's really good at is obtaining government contracts. That's how he became a billionaire. Facebook, uh, you know, there's plenty of times when and, uh, Mark Zuckerberg has been uh, talking about how governments are constantly pressuring him to censor politically incorrect opinions off of Facebook, and he does. He was even caught on videotape with Angela Merkel, a chancellor of Germany, asking him, when are you going to censor hate speech off of Facebook? And he said, we're working on it. Um, whether Zuckerberg wants to do censorship, he seems kind of like he doesn't. But he does because he knows if he doesn't do what the government tells him, they will destroy his business. And I think it is probable that Facebook became the social giant 
behemoth that it did because it was willing to cooperate with governments around the world in a way perhaps MySpace and, and alternatives were not willing to. And so the governments turned Facebook into the winner, choosing the winners and losers in the economy. I could go on and on because most of these billionaires and their businesses re- re- uh, rely on um, government assistance, uh, government contracts, tax breaks, uh, incentives, etc., to dominate the businesses that they dominate. And that's such people are more more feel more comfortable, uh, by and large, in the Democratic Party. And uh, this is simply how the world works with the ultra rich. It has always worked this way, uh, and I expect it it always will. Uh, work this way, a very close alliance between big business and big government, between the ultra-rich, not just merely wealthy, the ultra-rich uh, and the government, and any opposition to the two, between the two, this idea that the big government and big business are opposing forces, etc. No, they cooperate. They cooperate together to dominate the economy. The, the, they give the, the rich people give the campaign contributions and so on to the politicians. The politicians ensure they get the tax breaks and the regulatory treatment and uh, the contracts and so on and so forth. So, first of all, this war, this is just how the world works at the le- a high level that we're talking about. And the second reason why billionaires are, tend to be uh, Democrats is uh, this is how they justify themselves, right? We live in an economy that is extremely unjust and extremely manipulated and very disadvantageous to the average American. You know, ever since the early 70s, since the sort of financialization of the economy was sort of finalized, um, we have seen by the 25%. Way, yeah, sorry? Let me just interrupt you for one minute. The financialization of the economy was finalized by none other than Richard Nixon. Yes, Richard Nixon, the last liberal or leftist president, as some have called him. Like, it's always the case. Republicans institutionalize the left's ideas because the Republicans work for the same people as the Democrats, these very ultra-rich people that we've been talking about. It's a, it, the two parties are not enemies, they're simply rivals, Team A and Team B for the ultra-rich. And so Richard Nixon institutionalized affirmative action, he did the, the Environmental Protection Agency, he did uh, wage and price controls, he, he, he uh, helped out Wall Street, he uh, uh, betrayed our, our ally, anti-communist ally in Taiwan, he pulled out of Vietnam, and so on and so forth. Um, but anyway, that's a big off, off track. So we've had a great increase in worker productivity since the early 70s, but we've had a decrease in wages. We've had rapid rises in health care costs, far beyond uh, the very tiny increase in wages. We've had student debt, uh, housing costs, and, and so on and so forth. So we're living in, a, we're living in decades of economic decline, extremely uh, unjust treatment, when worker productivity goes up, wages should go up, should go up, and that has not happened. We've had worker productivity almost double since the early 70s, and uh, even when you factor in women's wages, the increase in wages is only 7% since then. And, of course, we've had these huge increases in, in many of the great, uh, the largest expenses uh, and debt that people have to pay and the debt that they've taken on. So to justify but at the same time, of course, we know that the net worths of the ultra-rich uh, have gone up several times. Right in in that same time period, in multiples of their net worth, so the money is there; it's just being funneled to the top uh, in an unjust way, given the increases in worker productivity. And I'm not even talking about other technological efficiencies that have been that are non-labor related that have uh, taken place since the early '70s, which of course are considerable. So to justify this uh, rapacious economic climate in which we live, in which the ultra-rich are stealing um, from uh, from labor. Uh, from people's labor and from mo- modest people's incomes and, and so on, 
they have to justify themselves somehow. So they justify themselves by aligning, uh, typically by aligning with the party that supports abortion on demand, same-sex marriage, transgender rights, immigrants' rights, et cetera, et cetera. So they can pose as benevolent. So they can pose as protecting the poor and vulnerable, right? They can, they can go around being, feeling morally superior to Republicans, conservatives, and others because yes, they perpetuate this unjust economic system, but they love transgender people, so they're good, and the other side is bad. Uh, and the Democrat and the Republicans do this to some extent by pretending to be pro-life. We're right, up against the hard break. Hold on, we're up against a hard break. We'll continue this in the context of rent-seeking. We'll be right back. Okay. Good morning. My name is Mike Mizell. I'm a retired Army colonel and president of the Johns Creek Veterans Association. We meet in Newtown Park, and part of one of our projects is the installation of the Healing Wall, the half-scale model of the Vietnam Wall that traveled the United States. Well, it's coming to rest, and it's going to live in Johns Creek forever, the half-scale model. We're looking at a possibly a march implementation ribbon-cutting ceremony, and we're looking for donors and sponsors that want to help us in this great project. You can donate at jcvets.org. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of dollars a year. I'm Ellen Deal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Care Act, you can email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter, and with my son Joseph D'Agostino. And I le- we left off with uh, Joseph explaining uh, why the billionaires, uh, and by his count, including Jeff Be- Bezos, 9 out of 10 of the top billionaires, including George Soros, are all Democrats committed to the Democrat Party, and democratic causes, uh, uh, directly or indirectly, that go to the uh, support the Democrat Party. And if you take a look at the, where their wealth uh, comes from, you understand what Joseph's been saying, because from an economic point of view, most of them are rent seekers. They may have invented something great, uh, Facebook, micro, uh, uh, Microsoft, uh, those people, but 
they, their wealth is based upon keeping it without doing anything further, letting the stock prices rise. In other words, they're, they're in the old uh, nomenclature, rent seekers. What do you say about that, Joseph? Yes, they're rent seekers to an extent, right? But but the world is more complicated than, than dividing, you know, simply into rent seekers versus uh, the producers, right? It's not that Amazon doesn't provide value. It does provide value. Facebook provides value, right, to, to tens of millions of people in this country alone. Um, so Elon Musk provides value to many Tesla owners, so on and so forth. But mixed with that uh, value that they provide is the rent-seeking aspect, and that's what gave them the edge to become the ultra-rich, to become billionaires, this cooperation with uh, governmental authorities or the cooperation to censor the people the government wanted censored or to give it to the right politicians who then got these uh, contracts uh, delivered to their companies or their tax breaks or the regulatory breaks, uh, so on and so forth. And there are other ways of, of, that you could call rent-seeking, depending on how you look at it, for example, to, to set up a whole bunch of entities, um, legal entities, to hide income legally from taxation, shielded from taxation. For example, a friend of mine who works for a big law firm in D.C. says they will set up 200 different legal entities to do, to do one deal, right? Um, and then uh, some are based in the Cayman Islands and Switzerland and wherever else. Um, and they cost a million dollars. To, to set all this up and then you don't pay any taxes using your offshore tax havens and bank accounts and so on. Well, for the typical person, that's beyond their ability to pay. The typical wealthy person, it's not worth it as a proportion of their wealth. But if you have a billion dollars or more paying a million dollars to all these lawyers and experts and government officials around the world uh, to set up these sorts of arrangements to shield your, your operations from taxation is worth it, right? So there's all these different ways of being that are accessible only to the ultra-rich who have the ear of members of Congress, who have the ear of uh, top people in the executive branch, who, of course, soon leave in a few years and join those corporations at a much higher salary than they were making for the government anyway, who uh, who talk directly to the uh, top bureaucrats in these agencies, who regulate those um, industries, and who often also leave the government and cash in at some point. Um, and so all these different things make make these businessmen, you know, their combination of productive people uh, as well as rent seekers, as well as uh, exploiters of the system that the government has set up. Let me ask you this question. So what about Trump? How come they hate Donald Trump so much? Isn't he one of the club or is he not? Or do they fear he's not? I, I, I think he is a member of the club because you have seen his changes being mostly rhetorical rather than substantive, right? The kind of tax reform bill and regulatory reform that he's done are things that are sort of mainstream. They don't, they shake up the system a bit, but they don't fundamentally alter the system. Um, he talks a big game. He does not deliver a big game. Um, he has delivered some positive achievements, some solid but small positive achievements, but I don't really see Trump as uh, a real challenge to the system. I see Trump as a reformer of the system. I see Trump as telling these people behind closed doors, look guys, we're gonna have a potential revolution on our hand if we on our hands if we don't make some concessions to the ordinary American worker, right? If we don't make some concessions to maybe people in the inner cities and so on and so forth. And I think he has made some of those concessions and I think that they're good. I think he's changed, the, perhaps the most valuable thing Trump has done is changing the conversation, making 
right-wing uh, populism, making protectionism, making closing the borders viable options for people to discuss publicly in a way that they weren't before. Um, but I don't see it happening. The wall is not built. He talks about even if he does get the border under control, that he wants to increase immigration legally, not decrease it, right? He wants to increase immigration, which means a greater supply of labor, which means, of course, the price of labor will continue to remain depressed. Supply and demand uh, are the biggest factors in the price of anything. But wages have supply gone of labor, up. Wages the price goes up. down. Wages have gone up under the Trump administration, especially for low-wage workers. There's some good statistics about that. But that doesn't explain... I mean, he doesn't, he's done a lot of good things, we both agree. Uh, but he's also been stymied by the bureaucracy and by the Democrats in the House. But why do they hate him? If he's really one of the club, why is he so hated? Do, uh, do they really fear he's not one of the club? I think they're afraid he might not be, right? He is unpredictable to some extent. I think they fear what he might do in the future. He might actually do what he says he's going to do uh, in a very serious way. So you don't know for sure what he's going to do. I think the second thing they really resent is his changing of the conversation. I think he sort of upset the rhetorical apple cart and made people, you know, ultra-rich people and other people, just ordinary, some ordinary people who like the current system, particularly affluent professionals, law professors, and so on. Who all vote for benefit, the Democrats, by the way. Makes them, makes them worried, right? Oh, yes. Well, I mean, uh, if you take a look at the wealthiest congressional districts, Virtually all of them are represented by Democrats. Take the top exactly, and it's, a, and it's a trend that's going to continue. Yeah. So, but because uh, that doesn't explain, I mean, Trump has made some moves to clear out some of the, and of course he should have made these moves a lot sooner, clearing out justice and the and the uh, FBI and uh, the Treasury Department and the State Department. But but they must fear that that Trump really means what he says and is going to drain the swamp. Well, they fear it. We will not know unless and until Trump gets reelected with uh, a majority of the popular vote, which may or may not happen this fall. It may depend on more on the economy and the coronavirus than anything uh, else. And, and the coronavirus is well beyond man's control, even George Soros's control, right? But if Trump is reelected with the majority of the popular vote, as well as obviously the Electoral College vote this fall, we might start seeing some of that really fundamental reform. Um, but we might just continue to see uh, tweaks to sort of modestly improve the, the standing of labor and standards of living in this country. What fundamental reform does, does Trump need to do, in your opinion, to achieve a real reform, a genuine reform that will benefit the ordinary folks? He needs to do, so there are some very fundamental things that should be done um, that are not realistic at this time, such as outlawing usury, for example. So I don't expect Trump to be able to do that. What he could realistically do is get control of the borders and dramatically reduce immigration flows, uh, not just only, you know, basically eliminate illegal immigration, but also dramatically reduce legal immigration um, in order to provoke uh, uh, businesses into having to raise the price of labor because the supply will be restricted and they will need to pay greater salaries and wages and offer better, better, better benefits. That, that's probably the first, most immediate, most commonsensical thing he could do to improve the standing of the average American worker. Uh, the second thing he needs to do is continue to pursue truly fair freight, uh, uh, trade deals. The trade deals benefit countries like China and, of course, the large American corporations that uh, offshore to them, China, India, Mexico, etc. He needs to have trade deals that uh, price into 
tariffs, uh, uh, the uh, balance for these countries not having the same labor protections and workers' rights that we do, not having the same environmental protections that we do, and so on. That needs to be priced into the cost of products from overseas uh, so that, that American manufacturers and domestic producers can compete when they have to live up to the government uh, government uh, here with their workers' rights and the uh, environmental standards and safety standards, et cetera, et cetera. I so suggested are- very, that very thing many, many years ago. In fact, uh, even before Ronald Reagan got elected uh, to some Republican leaders, including those who are seeking the, thinking about seeking the presidency, and it was pretty much rejected out of hand as mercantilism. Uh, exactly, and now we're at the, we're now we're at the point where Donald Trump is, is president, and we might uh, we came at least very close to having a socialist as our next president, and it could still happen, or it could happen in 2024. So I think we better make some reforms before that kind of thing happens. The next thing Trump should do is equalize the taxation of capital and labor. Right now, capital is taxed at a much lower rate uh, than labor. And that is tilts the playing field towards the capitalists and towards big business and against uh, workers and against uh, the value of labor. And that uh, the taxation of the two should be made as equal as reasonably possible. Uh, and, of course, I would prefer the taxation on labor be lowered to the level of taxation on capital, and that would be the way to achieve the equality. Well, how about the uh, taxation on uh, wealth that is a result of uh, rent-seeking? People who sit on their uh, real estate for long periods of time and let it appreciate. People who, whose wealth are based on the, the, the market uh, trading of their stock, not on new stock, not on new innovation, but just on people speculating on stock value increases, which, of course, when they sold is now a capital gains tax, way lower than the tax on labor. Exactly. Um, I, the problem with that under the current system is I do not want to make it uh, difficult for ordinary people to achieve financial independence through investments. It's very hard to do that through just wages and salaries these days. So people, middle-class people, they typically stock away a little bit of their money every year, invest in the stock market or invest in real estate. By the time they're 50 or 60, they've got a nice big nest egg, they have financial independence, and they can retire on that, Right. So you could view them as earning that money through rent-seeking, but it really is the only way most people can achieve financial independence and a comfortable retirement under today's system without pensions uh, and and so on and so forth. So I'm very reluctant to endorse that approach. Well, uh, I I think uh, when when we're challenged, we say, well, what what do we want to do? What, what do we want to do about it? I mean, what what policy or what program do we want to institute? And uh, maybe it needs to start with an abolition of the income tax. Well, the, the root and branch of all of this, as the biblical writers said, as Aristotle said, as many others throughout history have said, is usury. And if the charging of interest can be eliminated and the, the definancialization of the economy achieved so that producers are triumphant over financiers, that would be the biggest solution. Now, you're not advocating the abolition of all interests, but usurious interests. No, I'm, I'm uh, advocating the abolition of all interests. I'm okay. advocating a system in which loans are financed by the charging of flat fees. Okay, uh, hold that thought. Interesting thought. Unfortunately, we're up against the end of the show. That's very, I want to pursue that with you privately. Okay, thank you, Joseph, for coming on board. Thank you. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.